Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of Shoes Off Please. I am Demi, your host, and this week we got something really special prepared for you. Right now we are doing a live podcast recording at Dink Independent comic and art expo downtown in denver at the mcnichols building if you have not heard of this event it is incredible it basically showcased a bunch of different independent comic book artists and just artists from i'm I'm gonna say kind of all around all around colorado and some of them are national but yeah it's a weekend event and yeah we are on the last day it's sunday the 14th uh yeah Um, Basically, what the premise of Shoes Off, Please, if this is your first time coming, is we are talking to marginalized genders about what they're doing in and for their communities and kind of a little bit about mental health and things that um, come and go through their lives as they um, work in their field. Um, Today, I'm actually sitting down with Adrian Norris, who's a local Denver artist, basically an all-around badass, and I'm just so excited to have you on the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yes. I'm so glad that we finally made time. I've been hearing about Adrian for quite some time from my friend Zach Kinsella, who also does comic book art, and yeah, I'm just just so stoked right now. (laughs) But yeah, Adrian has a set up here at Dink. Um, she's supposed to be upstairs selling, but I kind of like stole her away. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I got back up. <laughs> but yeah, Adrian, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my name is Adri Norris, and I am an artist here in Denver. Not a native. I'm a transplant from a whole bunch of places. Um, I was born in Barbados, so I'm an immigrant. Uh, moved to New York, then New Mexico as a kid. Joined the military, bounced around, did a bunch of stuff before uh, landing here for art school. And then I just sort of ended up sticking around. So I've been in Denver since 2005. Yeah. So you're a military kid, too. Is that what brought you here? Not strictly. So when I say military kid, like, I served, but I was not, like, a military brat. Like, I am unique in my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm from Colorado Springs, and so most of my family is military um, born and raised all over the place. It's just my mom and I who aren't like direct military, and so gotcha. whenever I hear that, it like does a little perk up in my ears because I'm like, oh, that's something that I'm know and I'm immersed in constantly. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're like the reverse of me. Yes, you're like I've yes. been around it my whole life. I'm not right. doing it. And I'm like, I've oh, never no. done this before. <laughs> nope, uh, not at all. Um, if I got yelled at by a person, like just because like a commandant or something like that, I'd be like, and I'm done, and I'm done. (laughs) But yeah, Adrian, I'm so fascinated by you because you're working on this project that's called Women Behaving Badly. Can Mm -hmm. you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I got it from the quote, uh, well-behaved women seldom make history. So um, I made it a little bit provocative by choosing the title, Women Behaving Badly. It definitely draws people in, but really it's all about women in history. So um, I'm 39 right now, and uh, I did not realize how many women had contributed to the society that we live in, to the world that we live in, to technological innovations that I use on a regular basis until I was in my, you know, mid-30s. And uh, I felt that this was problematic because I'm in my mid-30s and I'm just picking up on this stuff. Then what about, you know, all these young girls out there who don't have role models or don't realize that they have role models? And so, um, you know, I've been painting portraits for much of my life, and I felt that up until 
just a few years ago that my work was kind of frivolous, you know? It's like, yeah, I'll paint family portraits or I'll paint pictures of celebrities or whatever, but I didn't feel like I had a true message with my artwork. And so when I started really learning about these stories of women in history, I was like, this is it. This is the message that I can use to help propel my art to the next level, but also just like, you know, take the the people around me, the community that I live in to another level too. I love the idea of putting the exposure back out there to women because like no matter what age you are you can learn something about like all of the different women mm-hmm. and um, people who have come before us that help influence what we do now um, were there any particular women that really jumped out to you <laughs> <laughs> there's so many oh my god um, I like to cite Shirley Chisholm first and foremost uh, first African American woman elected to Congress and you know they tried to tokenize her. She got in there, and they're like, I know you're from New York. I know you're from the inner city, but we're going to put you in the Department of Agriculture. And she's like, why? <laughs> Those are not my people. That's not my focus. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, she ran on a platform of unbought and unbossed, and she ended up, you know, really making waves in Congress. And there's, there's um, laws and, you know, uh, things that she put into place back in the late 60s, early 70s that we still benefit from today. Um, And I think that's phenomenal. She was also the first black woman to run for president. Uh, She was the first woman to run for president on the Democratic ticket. And so um, for her to have that level of audacity to say, look, y'all aren't doing it, so it might as well be me. Mm -hmm. You know, that is an incredibly powerful statement. So, yeah, I think Shirley Chisholm is, like, super high on my list. Also, her background is also from Barbados. Like, her family is from there. Yeah, when she was little, um, her folks were here in, like, the 30s, and they could not afford to raise her and her sisters. And so what they did was they sent her and her sisters back to Barbados to live with her grandmother while her mother and father were able to kind of make ends meet and just kind of get their feet back on the ground here stateside. And so her early education, um, preschool all the way up until I think probably about, let me see if I remember this correctly, it's like fourth or fifth grade, something like that, was a Bajan education. It was um, like um, based on the British education system. So she was reading super early. She was doing like, you know, higher math super early. Crazy intelligent. By the time she came back here, she was like, y'all, behind me mm-hmm. she's just a woman ahead of her time mm-hmm. that's exactly what it was well that's inspirational I'm sure it's so funny like when a woman in history like that is just out there doing her thing mm-hmm. and is just trying to make the lives of the people that she's around better mm-hmm. and by improving herself as well I wonder how much influence does she think that she actually has? Like, especially, like, if she could see, like, what that impact looked like from way back then to now. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she would change anything or do anything differently. That's an interesting question. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Shirley Chisholm, she lived until, I think, 2005. Mm -hmm. And so, actually, no, is that true? No, I think she met President Barack Obama. So I want to say, like, 2008. Wow. So don't quote me on that. It's okay. We'll look it up. Yeah, we'll look it up. <laughs> we'll fact check it. Yeah, I feel as though I remember, maybe I, there's a medal um, and him speaking about Shirley Chisholm, but I can't remember if it was posthumous or not. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, she was able to see like a lot of social advances, but I would say that she'd probably still be disappointed in the way our system works and that she wasn't able to make effective, permanent change right. in the way that, you know, legislators operate, you know? Because there's still so much change to come, and she definitely was one of the groundbreakers, I would say. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that progress is just very slow right now from what it seems like. But if it wasn't for women like her, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Exactly it. Um, kind of going along the vein of, like, women behaving badly, do you feel like you are a woman behaving badly? Oh, constantly. <laughs> so the concept is not, you know, behaving badly in the sense of, you know, um, doing bad things or even like intentionally shaking up the system or whatever right. it's really a matter of saying like I am not going to fit in this box that you wish to put me in so from the time I was little you know I have long been the only girl on tons of sports teams mm -hmm. that I was involved in and just mm -hmm. tons of areas that I've been in um, and accepted and respected not just for being you know the only girl but mm -hmm. for the skills that I brought to the table right. you know I played soccer from age 12 <laughs> to age 25 you know and um, I was often the only girl or one of very few girls and then eventually women on the team mm -hmm. I played when I was in the Marines and I was the only woman on two teams simultaneously four years in a row you know right. You know, on the base team and on like my actual units team. That and so, has to be so intimidating as well, just because it's like with the military, the athleticism is like on another level, and there's already like these built-in like misogynistic like constructs. Um, how was that, like being a woman and playing like soccer in the military? Actually, the soccer was the easy space. Oh gosh, <laughs> because I was used to it already. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was used to be the only woman on the team or the only girl on the team. And it was, when a I was co -ed in high school. Team. Yeah. Okay. Well, I made it the co-ed team. Yes. <laughs> um, I played in a tournament in Okinawa for Marine Forces Pacific, and I was literally the only woman in the entire tournament. Like there were there was nobody else. Wow. It was just me. Wow. Yeah. And even though I was like I was a goalkeeper, and even though I was the best goalkeeper, the uh, the other goalkeeper was a officer in the navy, and mm -hmm. so they made him first string. But everybody else in the team was like, it should have been you. Mm. <laughs> but you know, so I mean, that's a space like you know, just getting the opportunity to play mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, that's one place where I would say, like, you know, I experienced any kind of, like, backlash or whatever for being female. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, my skills were my skills. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't test them right. at the time. So, um, you know, I've always made a point to be the best that I can possibly be at everything that I do. Right. And those people who are looking for that quality, it doesn't matter what my gender is, they see that. Did you start um, your comic book work when you were in the military, or was this before? So interestingly, I actually don't do comics. Okay. I've been thinking about it. I've been reading them forever, mm -hmm. but I've not actually um, fully walked into that space. Okay. Um, I have been drawing and painting since I was little. Mm -hmm. uh, I told my mom at the age of seven that I was going to be an artist when I grew up. Yes. And so, uh, mission accomplished there. <laughs> She's like, listen here. Yeah. She stuck to her work. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was, I had my mom send my sketchbook out to boot camp, you know, yeah. like I'm out in boot camp. 
I'd established my schedule. I was like, okay, I know we got free time on Sundays. Mom, can you please send my sketchbook so that I can do some drawings on Sundays? Yeah. You know, I have memories of sitting in a Humvee in Iraq, just like, you know, just sketching away, just on guard duty, um, which I guess is not the best of guarding, but whatever. <laughs> And all the here Humvees, we are. <laughs> all the Humvees stayed where they were supposed to be. So it's whatever. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you're back in Denver, and are you doing this full time? Yep. Okay. Yep, I'm doing this full time. How does that look? Do you still feel like you're one of the few women that's working in this field? Like, what is it? What does the demographic look like in the artistry world here in Denver? So that is such an interesting question. Um, and you and I were talking about this earlier where mm-hmm. artists tend to be just sort of like head down in their studio, yep. not being around other people. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, um, I don't know who's doing what half the time because mm-hmm. I'm head down in my studio working on my stuff. Right. So, um, but as far as coming to, coming to like Dink, uh, Zine Fest, Comic-Cons, um, I do the Black Arts Festival every year, you know, that kind of thing. I do see a fair number of women who are artists who are doing their thing. Um, whether they're full-time or, you know, if they've got a, you know, doing art as a side gig, you know, some people have asked about that. And it just really depends on just kind of what stage they're at in their own business. But I think there's a decent number of women who are in the field doing the work. Right. As for your project, going back to Women Behaving Badly, mm-hmm. have you done any galleries or where have you displayed your work? So with this particular series, because I really have this strong sense that I want um, young women, young girls in particular, but you know, men and boys as well, mm-hmm. to take in this information, it's educational, mm-hmm. um, all of my artwork. I really want my work to be showed in places where kids have easy access. That is so good. So um, I've mostly showed uh, Coffee at the Point is like my go-to. Like I've done one show a year there for like since 2014. Coffee at the Point is so great, guys. It's over in Five Points. Check it out. And... um, but beyond that, uh, I've showed in libraries. Mm-hmm. So the Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez Library, I'm there for the second year in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I've showed at uh, Girls Inc. of Denver. Yes. They actually end up buying five of my pieces, so those are permanently in the hallways now. Oh, I love that. Yep. Um, so places like that where you know young people have easy, ready access to that series. I'm super protective. People ask for for it all the time. They're like, can you show those pieces here? And I'm like, I don't think this is the right venue. I I want kids to be able to just really be able to engage with my work. How important do you think it is for young women to be able to see like the work that you're doing with the Women Behaving Badly project? Because it takes a lot of research. You're also um, curating this Um, in such a specific way with choosing like what venues it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. like how do you think that that's influencing those young girls you know I've actually yeah (laughs) so I go into schools a lot Mm -hmm. which is awesome Um, so I get to interact with them Mm one-on-one or you know one on 30 whatever the numbers happen to be that day Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really cool because I get to see them see themselves reflected Um, I intentionally choose a fair number of women of color in my series and I really try to go to as many schools uh, in which there are a lot of kids of color and I speak to them 
even if it's a mixed group, right, boys and girls, mm-hmm. um, I speak to them about the heritage of the individuals as much as I do about the gender of the individuals because they need to see themselves reflected back. You know, um, I was at a school in Boulder, which was, you know, predominantly white kids. Mm-hmm. And granted, they were working on the American Revolution. And so their experience was, here's people who are fighting wars. Here's people who are slaves. That was the whole thing that was going on, right? right. And so I'm showing them pictures of women that I painted of the American Revolution. So there's three of those. And then, you know, I finished that presentation. I was like, and here's some other art that I did. And for every black face that came up, the kids were like, is that, was she a slave? Was she a slave? And I'm like, dude, we need to shift the narrative. All black women were not slaves. Right. And so that's another thing that I find like, super important to just kind of like get people thinking in a different way mm-hmm. about who did what in history and who right. had agency. Not everybody was a martyr. Not everybody was a slave. Not everybody was, you know, somebody who was oppressed. Some people just were really good at what they did and they just did it. Right. And that's, that really hits on something that I'm very passionate about is just showing a different narrative in school and in higher education in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's brilliant that you're going in and you're talking to these kids and you're showing them like, these are all the different perspectives and you're seeing this through my art, but it also gives you the opportunity to go out there and explore on your own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe um, do it in a creative way as well. So you can express yourself and show show it off to your peers or even keep it to yourself, but maybe learn a little bit more about what's going on in history and open mm-hmm. your eyes to what's happening in society a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I did feel that way, like growing up in school. I wish that I had had more artistic women coming in and showing me like, this is what you can do. It's not just like this nine to five. And even if it's a nine to five, that's totally fine. But here's all the different things that you can do. Mm-hmm. I think that it's great that you're really curating where you're supposed to, uh, like the places where you're going and talking to these kids and showing them like, hey, this is this is what's up. Like mm-hmm. you could be doing this and you can be doing that. But as long as you're happy, like that's great. But this is such a, rev- like this is such a revolutionized idea of mm-hmm showing them art and showing them women in history and then just kind of allowing them to explore on their own. I just think that that's great. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I'm trying to do, and I'm still refining the way in which I'm delivering this message Mm -hmm. and, you know, working with teachers pretty closely to figure out the best way to put this forward. Mm -hmm. Um, In doing this series on my own, I have discovered that the art has led me to deeper education. The art has led me to deeper knowledge because when I did the first set, um, yeah, I had to learn biographies and figure out, you know, like, how do I portray this woman's life? But you hit a certain point where you're like, I need more social context. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just say that, you know, Billie Jean King played in this tennis match against Bobby Riggs and have that to be the full context because that's not all that was going on in 1973. And so if you look at that image, you see... um, you know, Nixon getting ready to resign and getting ready to be impeached. You see Vietnam War ending. You see the women's rights movement and people marching in the streets, and that is, like, massively on the rise. You see Charlie's Angels on TV. You know what I mean? All of those things were happening in the environment Mm -hmm. in which she's playing this iconic match, and that's why it was so iconic. And so for each of my pieces, I've discovered that I have to go deeper into the general history of the time in order to fully understand why these women were doing what they were doing and why what they did was so pivotal. 
I love that you look at the full perspective of that as well because um, what was happening in society at that time for these influential women is important to their story. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does it take for you to research all of this and put together each like um, like postcard? It varies. Um, I'll be honest, like the first round, I did 10 paintings in four months. Mm-hmm. So I rocked them out as quickly as possible. <laughs> Most of my searches were like Wikipedia and biography.com. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten deeper into this, I want to be as authentic as possible. And so I've been going to the library, getting books. Where biographies exist, I will read biographies. Unfortunately, some biographies don't exist. And so I'm not able to find those books. And so I have to actually kind of fill in gaps with, you know, um, reading about what was going on at different time periods in which they mentioned this person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for the big pieces, and I do big pieces and I do like kind of small, really quick ones. Mm -hmm. Um, For the big ones, I really try to get deeper into the stories where possible and I give myself space too to just kind of come back around for more information so for example the Shirley Chisholm piece that I mentioned um, I did in 2016 Mm -hmm. and it was like one of my earlier ones so I think I did that one around like May or so Mm -hmm. Um, and that was definitely a Wikipedia search situation (laughs) Um, but just you know a few months ago I actually read her biography and it's actually her autobiography mm-hmm. and so from there I was able to glean so much more information kind of realize where there's gaps in the painting itself but mm-hmm. at the same time when I go and speak at schools I'm able to provide so much more so much richer content yeah yeah I love that um, especially because it's like your pieces are providing that educational background too mm-hmm. um, where do you see this project going like from here so um, funny story uh, I'm I'm collaborating on a book right now, uh, and it's about women in the history of Tanzania. And the woman that I'm working with, her name is Jill Tietjen. She has been um, writing about, speaking about women in history for like the last 30 years. Wow. So I was introduced to her last year, and um, you know, we totally geeked out for like an hour and a half on women in history. And I got to the end of the conversation, and I was like, 30 years does it ever get old and she was like no so I'm like cool 30 years done I'm in (laughs) I can knock that out yeah (laughs) I'm on I'm on board because you know I'm three years in almost and it's nowhere near getting old to me Mm -hmm. it is still interesting it is still fascinating I am finding new and more interesting ways of discovering this information of sharing this information and you know it's only going to get bigger and the way I see it is this it's not that I am I am exclusively focused on women in history Mm -hmm. but I see that as just a different lens through which to look at the world Mm -hmm. you know we've been looking at the world through a very masculine a very heterosexual a very Caucasian lens for a long time actually maybe backtrack and take that word out Caucasian is not the correct word it's Anglo-Saxon people of the Caucasus are as brown as Arabs so um, I'm not going to use that word again (laughs) I'm learning a lot about that as well I think I saw something on Decoded which we can totally talk about later but Mm -hmm. yeah the history of the word Caucasian it's just Mm -hmm. it's mind blowing to me and I wish that was something we were taught in school but eh, anyways yeah we digress so um, (laughs) in any case that is the lens through which we have been looking at the world and through which we have been looking at history for so very long. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm just shifting it. I'm saying, what if we look at it from a women's point of view? We can still look at the world as it is. We can still talk about historical events. We can still talk about wars. We can still talk about all this stuff. But what if we just look at it through the eyes of the women who lived at this times, rather than through the men who were doing certain things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. When do, you, when do you think this book will be out, like released, or the project will be completed? Yeah, so I still got like another 60 or so illustrations to go. Um, it's quite fresh. And we're, we're looking for a publisher, so um, it's still a little nebulous. Yeah. But in the meantime, I've got tons of stuff that I've done. So I've done, what, 24 of the big paintings to date. And of those, I have prints, I have postcards, all of which are informative in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, I just got done with a set of trading cards about women in the history of Colorado, specifically. Tell me more about this, because this is the project that I just recently saw. Okay. And I am so excited to physically see it in person. That's what I want. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the Denver Women's Commission was giving out a grant to um, put together some kind of project (laughs) about women about Colorado and it was a little nebulous and so I applied I got it Mm -hmm. and I pitched this idea because I've been wanting to do trading cards forever anyway Mm -hmm. so this seemed to me like a beautiful excuse and so um, we decided to focus on women in the history of Colorado so um, I got a list of ladies from a project they had done a few years before Mm -hmm. and started doing like the research finding the images doing the paintings Mm -hmm. And um, so I now have a deck of cards. I think of them almost like baseball cards, so that's why I call them trading cards, Mm -hmm. where they've got a picture on the front, and then there's information about the woman on the back. So so (laughs) it's the usual, like, name, date. Um, There is, you know, key information about each woman. And then the last little section is called um, Bet You Didn't Know. And so it's like a little fun fact about each individual to kind of humanize them because there's a tendency to learn about these historical figures and just kind of set them in the past and sort of leave them there Mm -hmm. and, you know, set them in this space of just, here's all the amazing stuff that she's done. But, you know, it's kind of cool to find out that Adele Arakawa used to race cars. You know what I mean? That, that's that's a very human thing to do, and that's like that's you something want to that's relate to them. As exactly well. it. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I want to make sure that I have in there. I love this. Um, so where can we see the trading card project? So uh, if you're at Dink today. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're hearing this podcast, it's already <laughs> it's happened. It's Never gone. mind. Uh, they're on my website. Um, so if you go to afrotrianglesigns.com, or if you just look up women behaving badly, go to afrotrianglesigns.com, though. That's better. Um, you will find my trading cards available on the website. Also, it's a work in progress. I'm in the very, very beginning stages of having these conversations. I do want to get them into stores around town. Yeah, that would be amazing. And just to, like, almost like a trading card, exactly like you said, it would be fun to kind of, like, see all these different little trading cards and different ones all in different locations. Mm -hmm. And you can start these really brilliant conversations about women here that have been moving his, the history of Colorado forward and mm-hmm. I just think that this is so great I love when educational projects um, and passion projects like combine because mm-hmm. I'm such a nerd and um, I, w- I wanted to be a teacher for a really long time and yeah 
yeah, I just think that this is so cool, what you're doing. And yeah, has this changed your perspective at all since living in Colorado? Significantly. Yeah. Significantly. Um, yeah, just doing the project has been really interesting because, you know, as you drive down the streets and you mm-hmm. see street names, building names, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing, you don't really make the connection to the people that they were named for. Right. Right? And so, you know, studying about Emily Griffith, knowing that the vocational school is like right there, right. you know, um, and actually knowing the life of this person and how she came to even start this thing was incredible. And it's super cool to watch people who live in Colorado, who grew up here, um, interact with the cars. And they're like, oh, crap, I go to that school. I did or, not know this. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I've seen that street. Or, oh, yeah, I didn't know she did that, you know? And so it's really cool to, to see the reactions of people as well as they flip through the cars. Right. Well, um, we're about to wrap up. We're giving a little time limit, which is super funny. Um, this is my first time doing a, a panel in a long time. But yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on and for taking the time to do this live podcast recording. I really appreciate it. But before we go, I just want you to, you already told us your website, which I will be linking on our Instagram as well at Shoes Off, please. Um, But where else can they find your work? Do you have an Instagram or any handles? I do, I do. So if you go on Instagram, I'm at Afro Triangle. Uh, If you go on Facebook, I'm also at Afro Triangle. And there is a Facebook page called Women Behaving Badly. And on that page, I share the different projects that I'm working on. But I also share articles that I find about women who are doing awesome stuff now or just historical figures who have done really cool things that I think you should know about. Well, we will see you guys next time at Shoes Off, please. Thank you again, Adrian. And yeah, we will see you soon. Thanks for having me. I would like to say thank you again to Adrian Norris for sitting down with me at Dink Comic Book Expo. And also shout out to Dink for having us there as well. We cannot thank you enough for your hospitality. Make sure to listen to this episode and all of the other episodes, episodes one and two, on SoundCloud, Spotify, and the Apple Podcast app. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Shoes Off Please Podcast and on Instagram at Shoes Off Please. And we will see you next time.